The BREATHE trial aspirates on its own data. New obesity hyperventilation recommendations from the ATS. President-elect of the ACCP wants to focus on membership engagement opportunities. And new hope for COPD patients with FDA-approved procedure. Today is October 28th, 2019, and this is Dr. Michael Zagoda for the Spiro Podcast. Ellie Kincaid, writing for Medscape, reports that Johns Hopkins erroneously published bad data of a randomized clinical trial that evaluated a three-month education and support program for COPD patients after hospital discharge. Those study results indicated that the program led to fewer subsequent emergency department visits and hospitalizations. Well, another journal retracts an article and republished a new analysis of the trial's data. The study authors did report that a coding error had flipped the usual care and intervention groups in a file used to prepare the analytic data set for statistical analysis. Furthermore, they admitted to an additional error in the handling of missing quality-of-life data points. The original analysis showed that the intervention improved patient quality of life. This went against other studies that had been done in a similar fashion previously. However, after the correction, no difference was found between the two groups. The things that were done, we'd all consider reasonable, but In truth, it really made no difference. The participants received support in managing their disease from a nurse with specialized training in COPD support. Multiple patient visits recurred during their hospital stay and three months of continued meeting with them via home visits or telephone. This was an aggressive use of resources to try to keep the patients from readmission. But just like throwing too much money into a public school system with bad outcomes, so too does a program like this. It only costs more money with no difference in outcomes. An institution such as Johns Hopkins, who holds themselves to be an example of research integrity, should be held to account for this faux pas. And of course, JAMA was embarrassed by the retraction. But in their defense, few COPD readmission reduction programs are tested in randomized trials. It has been called a, quote, evidence-free zone. CMS penalizes hospitals for 30-day readmission rates, so either way, the BREATHE trial is important regardless of the outcome. What we do know is that one thing that has been shown to help is not funded, nor is it reimbursed. That is pulmonary rehab. If we really want to improve COPD outcomes, we need to get our patients up and moving and not simply talk to for three months. The Spyro Podcast is written to healthcare specialists that practice pulmonary, critical care, and or sleep medicine. We cover a broad range of subjects from the newest recommendations for your clinic to pending diagnostic and therapeutic options for your patients that are on the horizon. From time to time, we'll interview thought leaders in our specialty with our two-minute elevator pitch and are looking to share some preliminary data on certain long-term clinical trials in the United States and abroad. So subscribe now to the Spyro Podcast so you can help your patients while being the most informed. New guidelines for obesity hyperventilation syndrome, OHS, were published by the American Thoracic Society. A multidisciplinary panel identified and prioritized five clinical questions. They then did a systematic review of available studies up until July 2018 and followed a typical evidence-to-decision framework to develop these recommendations. We see that there is really no well-done, large, reproducible studies. However, the panel looked at the overall very low quality of the evidence, and combining this with their expertise, as thought leaders, they did their very best to make these five conditional recommendations. They are. We should be checking a serum bicarbonate level to see if it is less than 27 millimoles per liter to exclude the diagnosis of obesity hyperventilation syndrome, specifically in obese patients with sleep disorder breathing, especially when suspicion for hyperventilation is not very high. Basically, low-risk patients with OSA should have a bicarb checked. High-risk patients should have a blood gas. 
They went on to say that stable ambulatory patients with obesity hyperventilation syndrome receive positive airway pressure, at least in some form, with CPAP rather than non-invasive ventilation being offered as the first-line treatment to stable ambulatory patients with obesity hyperventilation and coexistence severe sleep apnea. Patients hospitalized with respiratory failure and suspected of having obesity hyperventilation should be discharged home with non-invasive ventilation until they undergo an outpatient diagnostic procedure such as a CPAP titration in the sleep lab, ideally within two to three months. Finally, patients with hyperventilation syndrome should be using weight loss intervention that produce sustained weight loss of 25 to 30% of body weight to achieve resolution of their obesity hyperventilation syndrome, which is more likely to be obtained with bariatric surgery. So, overall, check a bicarb in low-risk sleep apnea patients and a blood gas in high-risk patients. Stable obesity hyperventilation patients should get CPAP, and CPAP is preferred over non-invasive ventilation. Hospitalized patients with obesity hyperventilation should be discharged home on non-invasive ventilation until they can have a formal sleep study. Active weight loss strategies, including bariatric surgery, are a reasonable option for patients with obesity hyperventilation syndrome. On the surface, these appear to be quite reasonable recommendations, but at least with the ATS name behind these, I'm hopeful. This gives us a baseline where to start and grow our understanding and opportunity for study as to exactly how we're going to best treat this very challenging patient population. Just returned from New Orleans a couple days ago after going to Chest. Love that city for conferences. I love it more for its food. Oh my goodness, I had to get out of there. I could not stop eating. Nevertheless, met a lot of great people, learned a lot of new things. Fortunately, I also had the pleasure of running into President-elect Dr. Stephanie Levine. She's a professor of medicine at the Division of Pulmonary Disease and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, Texas, where she's also the fellowship director and the director of her ICU. Dr. Levine has authored or co-authored over 280 manuscripts, chapters, reviews, editorials, and abstracts. She's been editor for both ChestSeek, Critical Care Medicine, and Pulmonary Medicine Editions. On an escalator, I asked her, what was her one goal within the ACCP for the next year? Leadership opportunities and membership engagement. Outstanding. Yeah. Okay, and why is that something that you have a passion for? Because I feel there are so many people that want to get involved and want to... It, it, to help out in leadership, and they don't have the opportunity. Because, I think that's true. Because there just aren't enough positions. I, I think you're and, right. Or yeah. involvement. It doesn't have to be a, an actual position, but opportunities for involvement. Right, engagement, involvement. Yeah, yeah. engagement Absolutely. and involvement, and, and are we giving members what they want? How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. I actually heard you're at Chess this week. What are you you guys doing over there? We are actually talking to doctors and helping them avoid burnout. Mm -hmm. And we are using essential oils. We have some foot massage stations. We have um, posture alignment as well as some meditation and some speakers going on. Yeah, I know physician burnout is so common and it's something that physicians really have to combat just in their 
in ourselves, with our mental health, our emotional health. So how do people tend to use essential oils to do that? Yes. So Chess asked us to come here to support doctors. They understand how hard they work and all the energy that it takes to do their daily lives. Um, so essentials can help with our emotions. When what we smell is how we feel, we process our emotions through our olfactory system and then in our limbic system processes our emotions, among many other things. And so if we can have a scent maybe that is for example, citrus and mint together is really uplifting. It's motivating. It's reassuring. It really helps um, support your emotions and maybe going in to see the next patient. Mm. And really when you're kind of had it throughout the day and smelling this oil, applying it to the back of your neck, taking a deep breath really helps encourage you and support you to take care of someone else. That's so fascinating. Thank you. Well, that's my floor. All right. Thanks for chatting with me. I'll see you later. Thanks, Nathan. Bye. Bye. This is the part of the show where I get to share something that I like and something that I don't like. First, I like my wife's chili. Now, when I say like, it's closer to a romantic kind of like. For those of you that have been following my journey with a post-viral urticaria that has compelled me to enjoy all that comes with taking high doses of steroids, antihistamines, and H2 blockers especially those steroids. As we all know, these malicious little white pills will make you hungrier than a hostage. Well, in hopes of staying off the inevitable weight gain train, I decided to proactively go on a ketogenic diet. I've seen this diet work for many of my sleep patients and thought I'd give it a go. This is a very high-fat, high-protein diet, very low-carb. So far, so good. Today, I've actually lost weight eating as much as 3,500 calories a day. I eat when I'm hungry, which basically means I'm grazing like a Texas heifer all day long. And I've even had a 2 a.m. cheese snack just to tie me over until breakfast from time to time. Despite all of this calorie consumption, I've actually lost 11 pounds in two weeks. I've been peeing on a keto stick to prove that I'm in ketosis just to keep my heart and mind in order. And with this very high-fat, high-protein diet for two weeks now, I've decided to check my blood levels. I'll report those back as soon as I get them. Now, I started this segment off with how much I like my wife's chili. That chili is my saving grace. I cannot get enough of it. Her recipe is on our website. Highly recommend it. I top it off with chopped onions, feta cheese, and a few dashes of Smack Yo Mama Louisiana Cajun Spice and a little yellow mustard. Cannot get enough. That chili is helping me stay on the keto diet, and my wife gets to hear me tell how great she is throughout the day, as evidenced by her chili. The fact that she raised my children, cares and tends to my grandchildren, and is a pillar in our community, in my mind, and especially stomach, right now, it's that chili that makes me sing her praises. She needs a better husband. Time for something I don't like. I don't like the movie The Joker. Please don't send me hate mail because, to be honest, I didn't even make it through the first 45 minutes of the movie before I got up and left. Maybe it got better. The cinematography was fantastic, even awe-inspiring at time. Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal was as believable as any, and it's obvious he sacrificed a lot to be so wonderfully accomplished in that role. However, the storyline was so overtly predictable, I actually fell asleep. I snapped too during one of the violent scenes and saw my wife was nodding off over there as well. So we just looked at each other and left. Went across the street, had a ketogenic dinner, some wonderful conversation. I'm glad I left that movie. Oh, I'm sure it will win many awards, but I just didn't like it. Go and see it. Make the judgment yourself. However, if you really want to enjoy your evening, make you some of my wife's chili and enjoy some good conversation with friends and family. Based on my experience, that would be a much better use of your time. 
shared at the beginning of the show that there's a new hope for COPD patients with an FDA-approved procedure. That procedure is endobronchial valves used for lung volume reduction in patients with severe emphysema. I had a 65-year-old gentleman come into my clinic, big burly man, very stoic, and his wife. As they sat and told me about his difficulty with breathing, his wife started to tear up, and she then began to share that their marriage was about to end, that he found his purpose in his work and he could no longer work. He was a general contractor and found purpose in his work as his children and grandchildren were since gone. It was just he and her. She was ill, and his life was spent taking care of her and his work. But now he couldn't even work. So, after going through the risks and benefits of the procedure and ensuring that he qualified based on all the testing results, we took him to procedure, and it was successful. He had complete atelectasis of the desired lobe, and I saw him a month later. When I walked into the room, I tried to reach out and shake his hand. Instead, he stood gave me a big bear hug, the kind that was long enough to make it feel just a little uncomfortable. And his wife was smiling. I said, so, how you been? Any fevers, chills, night sweats, cough, chest pain? He said, Doc, I'm back to work. His wife said, he's home. There are two device companies that now provide endobronchial valves. I've had the pleasure of being in the trials from its earliest days for both of these companies. So I've been doing this for about 15 years. And I can tell you, I've seen a lot of outcomes like this. So if you have a patient with severe emphysema that's struggling to breathe, I recommend you refer them to a center that provides this procedure, the endobronchial valve used for lung volume reduction. I've seen great outcomes as mentioned, and hopefully, after going through the process and being successful in the procedure, they'll come back to see you. And when they do, they'll give you a bear hug. You've been listening to the Spiral Podcast from Mars Hill Media. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked what you heard, it would be great if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Zagoda, and as always, I'll leave you with a little inspiration from my favorite artist, Mason Zagoda. Same as I do, do, do.